Welcome to Earth Mother Star Child. My name's Natasha Astara, and today I'm here with Saskia von Diest, who's the founder of Ecofluency. She's a consultant and facilitator in the field of nature communication. And nature communication is a subject very close to my heart. I think it's all about us moving forward with our relationships um, with ourselves, but also with the elemental realm and the other kingdoms. And I've got Saskia on today because I feel like she's another beautiful um, person who's uh, bringing her soul energy here to birth the new earth. Hello, Saskia. Hi, Natasha. Thank you so much for having me here. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, so Saskia, tell us a little bit about Ecofluency and what you're, what you're doing at the moment. Well, very happy to talk about this as this is something that's very close to my heart. Um, so Ecofluency is the science, art and the magic of nature communication. It's a two-way dialogue with nature um, using an expanded range of senses and awareness. And this is something that can help us to listen and share more deeply with animals, plants, insects, microbes, rocks, rivers, planets, nature spirits, any aspect of other than human nature. And I say other than human because humans are also nature, which is good news because it means that all of us are able to do nature communication. Many of us have just forgotten how important it is to rekindle and use something that is so innate. So it's a skill that we all have access to. And I believe that it's a critical skill because it allows us to practically co-create with the rest of nature, meaning that it can be used in growing food, building a home, understanding the behavior of wild, domesticated, even microbial beings, and allow us to deepen our relationship with thriving landscapes, um, to feel more at home and in harmony with the world beyond our walls. So I founded Ecofluency only this year, and it's something that is, it's the name of both the field that I treat as a field of practice and research, and um, it's also the name of the organization. So it's something, it's an organization that is, I am the currently the, the consultant for, the only consultant, I say sometimes lead consultant, but the only consultant for, and I facilitate and I teach nature communication, but it's also growing to support others in the field. So when people, let's say, go on the website, for example, they'll be able to see the work of others who I promote, who are linked um, as voices in the, in the field, other voices in the field. So I know some people who have come along to your, some of your courses and they've really, really enjoyed them. Um, so I wonder if you can give us an idea of what you get up to if someone books in and comes along to have an experience with you. Yes, sure. So I work in a few ways. Um, I consult and I teach with individuals, with groups, organizations, and it means that I teach in person and I also teach online. So if somebody is interested in just experiencing what is nature communication without having to do it themselves yet, they can book, for example, a consultation with me online and then I tune in with nature. Obviously I open up sacred space beforehand and um, I tune in and I relay the information real time. It's different to channeling or mediumship because I'm not allowing another voice to speak through me. I'm listening and then relaying the information. So I'm a bit like just a, translator or a mediator, put it that way. Um, so that's one way in which I work. If somebody's interested in learning, relearning the skill themselves, then 
I invite them to come on an online course or an online workshop or an in-person workshop. And the ones that, um, that you've heard about are the in-person workshops. And those are either day or weekend long. Most of them have been day workshops. And what happens in that is that it's focused on experiential learning. Meaning I don't go into the theory about how it works necessarily, because to be honest, nobody 100% knows how it works. I'm more interested in that it works and how to improve it in ourselves in a way that can become useful for ourselves and the rest of nature. So I have a guide, a nine step guide, which I have designed based on the nearly 10 years of experience from my own work and including some of the research I've done, which I can speak a little bit about. And it teaches people how to safely, effectively, and meaningfully communicate with any aspect of nature. When people go to interspecies communication workshops, many people focus on either animals or plants, or some people choose to focus on land healing and land communication. And those are all fantastic. Um, and that's some can be a specialization. And what I'm doing is bringing a very broad brushstroke to the field and saying the same principles apply. It doesn't matter whether the being who you're communicating with has a central nervous system or even a body. It's the same thing applies. It's being able to communicate with another aspect of essentially consciousness. Yeah. And so ecofluency works on this principle of animism where the, the central idea is that everything in this universe is conscious and therefore can be related with. And in order for you to be able to relate, you need to communicate. And so that's where things like ecofluency come in, is I'm teaching people the skills of how to do so mainly safely. And the reason I focus so much on safety is because so many nature communicators teach how to be able to open up um, and communicate in a very heartfelt way. And one could say, you know, by the fact that you are doing so in a heartfelt way, you're automatically protected. I have found that not to always be true. For some reason, you can open up and communicate with somebody who you believe, for example, especially nature spirits, this seems to be a thing, is that if they are not embodied, um, they present themselves to you through um, one, of your, one of your facility or faculties, like your intuition or your imagination. And so they'll, they'll give you an image, they'll portray an image to you in a psychic way. Um, this is what I look like. But as the same way with humans, things that will present themselves as one thing don't necessarily, that's not who they are. So in order to be able to make sure that you know who you're talking with, it's important to know how to set up the sacred space, set up the boundaries of your communication, call on the ones who are able to, you know, support you and protect you. Because there are things in this universe that are bigger and stronger and older and cleverer and way meaner than us. And so I choose to call on the ones who are bigger and stronger and clever and older and wiser than us and um, more able to protect us than we are necessarily able to protect ourselves at times. And it means that you've like, if you're good at, if I want to use the analogy of setting up a security perimeter for your meeting and you've got a security detail and you make sure that it's not going to get hacked. And an important aspect of that is being able to know how to open the meeting, make sure you have the correct Zoom link or telephone number, so to say, and then afterwards you close that off. 
Otherwise, it's just going to be a little bit awkward and weird if you like leave the phone call open or the Zoom meeting open and then you carry on chatting in the background, like other stuff is going to start getting interested. And so what this teaches us is boundaries and relationship, not just for other than humans, but also with humans. So it becomes a personal development path. And um, it's inevitable. It means that we have to start looking at how do we relate? What are our dynamics and our patterns of relating that we may have learned as a child, um, may have inherited from our family or our ancestors, may have experienced even in our adult life, um, especially in romantic relationships, or maybe even from other lives or karmic connections. How are we relating now? And how are we bringing those relation dynamics to other than humans? So it becomes a very strong mirror and becomes a really interesting journey into the inner landscape as well as the outer landscape. So Saskia, I'm really pleased to hear you talking about boundaries um, because I think this is one thing that really sensitive people, spiritual empaths, um, you know, people who are dealing with things in the non-physical realm, which um, a lot of us are consciously or unconsciously, um, is something that we all kind of have to learn and go through um, in order to stay, stay safe and be well and to find our way, you know, through this huge, vast universe of lots of different information around us. Um, so, I mean, do you have any experiences uh, where you have been shown that having a good boundary is really important and ones that you could share with us? Absolutely. Um, well, firstly, I'll say broadly that many, I started out with nature communication, I mean, with, with animal communication. So I learned um, in October 2012, I did my first weekend workshop with Anna Breitenbach, who is a very well-known animal communicator in South Africa. And because I'm also South African, I was, I was living near Cape Town at the time. So I attended a workshop of hers. And um, since then have learned with many other teachers, also animal communicators, plant communicators, and so on. And I noticed that there's a common thread amongst all of them, that they, they talk about being able to connect from the heart as the main organ of perception. So breathing through the heart, listening through the heart, as if you're seeing through the heart. And um, I believe that to a degree we are protected as long as we are staying in the heart. And I've also noticed that when people forget to close off a connection, for example, that they've built, then it's almost as if the, the, the transfer of information both ways can continue if you're not clear that you've actually put down the phone, for example. And so not just information comes through, but feelings, sensations, emotions, um, all kinds of things, which is how nature communicates with us you know, in a very wide range of senses and awareness. And Rudolf Steiner talks about 12 different senses, which I don't ask me to list them right now, but there are many, and I'm sure there are more than we can, we're even aware of. And so people have started picking up on things that make them ill. I've had experiences of communicating with animals and then shortly afterwards forget to close off the connection. And then I start feeling like I, I still feel ill, I still have a headache, even though that was what I experienced only during the communication. And I realized, oh, that was something that the dog was feeling and I forgot to, to close it off safely. And, um, and it's the moment I close it off, then I feel better again. But it can even go further. And people say, how serious can this really get? Well, 
during first lockdown in the UK last year, I was living in central Wales, um, off grid on a small holding that um, my partner's friend owns. And it's in a, a landscape that is, is steeped in the legends of angry dragons. And I did a pilgrimage to a local church with my partner and we were curious about exploring what's going on with the landscape because, well, not that we were skilled, that neither of us were fully skilled at the time to be able to do anything about what was going on, but we were curious and we wanted to simply understand coming from a place of compassion. But, you know, also doing so a little bit naively because in doing so, a pilgrimage is a really powerful technology to be able to tune in with the myths, the legends, the landscape, the stories, the song lines, and the energy going on there. And if you're not having clear boundaries, you can pick up on things, especially when you're going to churches where there are yew trees, and yew trees attract dead souls that have not passed over yet. The yew trees, from what I understand and what I've been taught, aren't the ones that help dead souls to pass over. That's that's other certain, other plants, like, for example, um, what David and Emma Farrell teach is that the elder is one of those plants that help with that for example um so we went to this this church and in the churchyard were these two massive yew trees and i felt really tired that day for some reason and i lay down on the grass and um, was just tuning in but i didn't feel very well and by the time we got back home i started feeling really really strange and i didn't realize that it was around that time that for the next two weeks three weeks maybe even longer i suddenly started feeling like the anxiety levels that i'd had in my body beforehand were amplified to the point of having full-blown panic attacks which i'd never had in my life and um when i got back uh, when i when i asked a few friends of mine um who are more versed in this kind of work what's going on they said well let's have a look and i ended up having a psychic clearing um, with two of three of my teachers and they each found different things in my field and um, turns out that I'd picked up things along the way that I had not intended to because I did not have clear boundaries I was not keeping my energy field clear so things were jumping into my energy field because I maybe looked juicier than the things around them where they currently were um, and it feels important to note that um, people can say oh but you sound like you're getting paranoid about entities and you know all kinds of things jumping into your field in my experience it's a reality and they can affect you even if you're not aware of it and so it feels important to say that to protect one's own creative energy one's own emotional energy to direct your attention to stay clear these are important aspects of being able to be an effective and safe and meaningful nature communicator and this i mean i can riff off about this for a long time but um, I'm wondering if I've answered your question now. Yeah, actually. absolutely, Saskia. And it's really lovely to have one of your stories. Um, and it's very interesting for me that you talk about churches because I myself have had this really interesting relationship with churches, you know, of, of partly being drawn to them because, um, you know, I've, I've, I've been an acupuncturist for many uh, years and I also recognise that they are power points on the land, like acupuncture points on the land. Um, that the sites of churches were not chosen by mistake you know they they consciously chose with intention to place um, these buildings of stone on these acupuncture points and sometimes over wells 
and springs. Um, and I think there's a very interesting relationship because although I'm drawn to that um, uh, power that's on the land there um, and that kind of enlivened energy, I always find that churches for me are very stagnant and that they do attract lots of um, unpleasant, um, you know, kind of energies that kind of gravitate there for all sorts of different reasons. Um, so it was kind of interesting what you described to me um, because it sounded a bit like maybe your energy was a bit more delicate that day, possibly. And then we walk into a, a kind of situation where there is a sort of intensity of energy. Um, and if it isn't very positive, you know, if it has gone into a kind of more toxic vibration, then it becomes really difficult if you're sensitive. Um, and so the reason I'm saying this is because I think churches are very, very interesting in this way. And I've had many experiences where I've gone to a wedding or I've just visited a church and I felt very unwell afterwards. And um, I've been aware that this space needs clearing. And what that actually did for me was I began to create sound pieces that I would then um, have as artworks in the church to kind of clear the ley lines because they're all acupuncture points on the ley. And that was my way of, um, you know, finding a way to clear and cleanse this energy because some of these churches I've experienced, um, there's even been a lot of kind of spells, enchantments, all sorts of things gone on in those spaces. And I don't think people realize how much of that stuff has been used in the past, um, even by religion. Um, especially by religion actually of controlling the the natural energy that's on the land and the landscape so I, I find it really interesting you've you've had that experience as, as you know in a different way but it, I wonder how many people are having these experiences um, so Saskia I'm very interested to know like how you got into this like were you always very sensitive as a child or very interested in were, were you able to always talk to I don't know, plants and animals and um, has this been a very natural thing or is this something that's only come out as you're an adult? I didn't grow up feeling like I was able to communicate with nature, but in truth, all of us actually are. And what often happens as a child, you, you may have memories of um, being able to communicate with nature, but then being discouraged um, from it by parents or by, by other adults or even being ridiculed at school because you're weird if you do that. And so I wanted I've had this urge to save the world so to say since I can remember and it took me until my late 20s to realize she doesn't need saving it's I'm I'm the one that needs the healing and then in doing so I'm helping her but it was it was only actually during my PhD so I studied um, agriculture and I did my PhD in plant pathology so I studied agricultural plant diseases and it was during my PhD that I had my first animal communication workshop with Anna Breitenbach and that made that was the beginning of the rest of my life it changed everything to this day i count that as the major turning point because suddenly the training that i'd had as a scientist for so many years totally shifted things in my in my world um having having that own embodied experience of something that shakes your worldview and science comes from it's only 400 years old it's a methodology that is based on this worldview of things being reductionist and materialist and that's the best way of accumulating knowledge and yes it's evolving but not nearly fast enough and certainly hasn't caught up with much of the wisdom and the truth that many spiritual traditions have been speaking about for a very long time and so it was that 
I mean, made my, my finishing my PhD a bit difficult, but I did it. And then it was during from 2014 until the end of last year, end of 2020, I did seven years of postdoctoral research with two universities into looking, um, looking at how farmers can communicate with nature to inform their practical management decisions. And alongside that, I was developing my own skills the whole time with various um, teachers. I also trained as a family um, constellations facilitator. Um, I did some geomancy training in the end to, to work with land energies and so on. And you're absolutely right, what you were commenting on earlier on is that people aren't aware of how many layers and imprints of what the land holds from our activity is captured. And even the World Health Organization recognizes that 30% of buildings are sick but they often attribute it to things like electromagnetic radiation or the quality of the light or too much sound or toxic building materials, but there's more. And when you, when you clear away the energetic problems in a house or on a piece of land, especially on farms, then the activity, the, the ability to thrive for that life on the land is suddenly dramatically improved. And Patrick McManaway talks about that being on average about 30% whether it's yield or whether it's quality of food or shelf life or animal um, health in any way. So it was, it was really alongside my own research and my work that I developed my capacity. And it's only in the last year and a half, two years that it's, it's really suddenly expanded. Um, and people sometimes expect that, you know, oh, but if we can do this and if it's just a matter of reminding ourselves or remembering how to do this, it should be quick and easy. But the way I try and explain to people is that you may have like beginner's luck type of experience where you might, you might go to a workshop and you have an experience and it's wonderful. And then you go home and you've got um, difficulty in doing it on your own or you forget how to integrate that into your everyday life. And the trick really is to continue practicing. It's a bit like a muscle. You know, you, you go to the gym and you train and you feel, okay, great. I can do this now at home but it requires that you do do it at home. And even if people do it in a very small way, five minutes a day, it's still meaningful because it's not just about us. It's about the fact that the rest of nature also would like to relate with us. And so us reaching out is as important as us um, and not getting anything is as important as us reaching out and getting it and getting um, something, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm really, gosh, you've covered so many subjects there. But what do you, what do you feel is one of the real benefits of people learning to be able to communicate with, um, you know, even if say, say they have a sick building, say they have a, and I have lots of stories about sick buildings. Um, so say they have a sick building. What, what do you feel is a really uh, a benefit of them being able to communicate with what's going on there and to work out how to heal it in some ways? Well, that's a big question because I would probably recommend first learning how to communicate with single beings and, and starting small, like communicate with a dog or a cat or a tree, and then work your way towards buildings, unless you feel very much drawn to working with buildings to start with, but they're more complex because you've often have multiple humans living in and on that space or around that space. Um, you, you might have people working there, moving in and out. So it's a more complex ecosystem to try and communicate with, whether it's the spirit of the building, spirit of the land, um, 
maybe there's an organization that is based there. And so now there's also needing to align that organization with the land and with the building. Um, so I would probably recommend that people get a professional geomancer or land healer to, to work on buildings if they don't know how to do it themselves. But the benefit of learning nature communication is, is there are so many benefits. Um, I found that it helps feel more at home meaning you feel like you really belong finally. And this, this was for me the biggest thing in that first workshop with Anna was not realizing how much I had not felt um, like I belonged beforehand. I, I re hadn't realized that I'd felt lonely. I was always around people, very social. You know, I was engaged at the time. Um, I had a wonderful life, but it was this feeling of, I would be able to be on a desert island if I were ever marooned or stranded somewhere and I would never be alone because I could communicate with all of the life around me, including the sand and the sea. Um, and so the first thing is that you, you feel less alone often. The second thing is that it becomes a path of wellness and wholeness, not just in terms of health. And by the way, people probably already know this, but the, the words healing and health and holiness actually all come from the same root, same root word, which is old English word halig, which means wholeness and, and to become whole. It's the same as the old German uh, or currently German heilig or heilen, which is to make whole again. So holiness and health is about putting yourself back together. And this is what nature communication brings. Is this aspect it can be a spiritual pursuit but it's first this feeling of oh i am at home i am my own home so that's one benefit another benefit can be just purely practical like for example a farmer who would like to communicate with the the farm and the farm organism as as an, a whole individual not just the individual animals or plants or um, buildings on the farm for example and by the way you can communicate with cars and tractors and machinery as well um, because they're also made of materials that come from the earth. Um, so it can be practically co-creative, you know, it can be grow used for building homes and growing food. And I use it now to make most of my practical decisions in my life. Um, and ecofluency is a co-creative endeavor with myself and my nature guides. And most of my decisions, including how much I charge, which clients to take on, because I don't just take on everybody. Um, I went to host workshops, for example, um, how many people I could expect maybe at a workshop. And what's interesting is that with nature communication, you don't always get what you want, but you always get what you need. And wise words, wise words, because I think that's true <laughs> of life in general. And anyone who doesn't adhere to that, you know, does so at their peril, I think. Um, we don't always get what we want, but we always get what we need. Yeah. And, um, and I would just say that, oh, the last thing I would say is that it becomes an amazing resource for healing in terms of, and I've, I've mentioned healing, but how is that the case? Well, by knowing that you can lean on the wisdom and the grace of the rest of nature that is other than human, that is wise and benevolent and kind and loves, honors, respects you, it means that you have access to more support than you would just from human people. And it can mean that you start to feel more 
And people sometimes get worried. They're like, oh, but I don't want to feel the pain of the earth. You know, I really feel enough. And I know maybe she's suffering. And I, don't, I can't hold that in my body. And I, I invite people to, to contemplate or entertain the idea that perhaps you're not feeling the earth's pain so much as you're just having your own stuff thrown to the surface to be dealt with. Because really that's what's needed. Otherwise it stays stuck in you and could develop into disease. And so people think, okay, but it's triggering grief. Yes, it's triggering your own grief because that needs to move. It's not for you to hold on to. And so even though it may trigger it, it's saying, and now you can give it back to me. You can give that to the earth and ask her to compost it. You can say to her, please return that energy to me in a way that can be helpful and meaningful in my life and to help me be of greater service. Because many people just want to be of service to the earth. You know, she's our, our greatest mother, our greatest grandmother. She's gorgeous and enormous, and she's so much stronger and older and wiser than us. And, um, and there are other beings as well who are equally strong and old and wise as her, but she's, she's the one with whom when we develop a really deep relationship, I don't think we can go wrong then. That's if we align ourselves with her, her intention and her, um, her power, that's really when life becomes interesting. And another great um, teacher of mine who passed away a few years ago, but he said something which always stuck with me, which is that humans have will and it's nature and the nature spirits that have the power. And if we lend them our will, they will lend us their power. And we've seen this, you know, it's not really us that has the true power. We're these tiny, squidgy, sweaty, sticky human beings whose life can be extinguished quite easily. Um, but our creative energy and our will and our intent is really the thing that when leveraged together with the power of nature and the means and the, and the, the materials, um, that's when the real magic happens. And that becomes a more amazing and effective way of being in service to all of life than thinking that we can just do it on our own. It's actually hubris to think that we can do it on our own. But many people don't realize you can actually co-create the solutions for Earth by communicating with her. <laughs> Not up to us just to come up with solutions. Yeah, um, very wise, very true. Um, and I, I think that I read somewhere, I think it was Rudolf Steiner's work who talks about us being incarnated angelic beings um, where we are using our creative source, our creative power, our will to be like the guardians of the elementals and the earth and the, the nature kingdoms. And we're also creating um, a more expansive, you know, evolutionary process for us ourselves, but also for the earth, helping her to move forward in whatever way she wants to. Um, because I'm very much the opinion she's always expressing herself through us and we we just need to be able to listen to that and then have the impulse to work on it um in the way that we feel is right um so saskia um i'm really interested to know like what's your what's your vision for the future like what would you really like to create with your eco-fluency work you know what would you like to see being birthed from the work you're doing so my my vision with Ecofluency is really simple. It's to help expand and reorient the individual and collective consciousness to encourage more authentic, compassionate, harmonious relating for all of life to thrive. 
when I say reorient, it's because many of us, we're in an age where um, attention is the new commodity. And it's so easy to get distracted by this, that, and the other thing. And especially in the digital realm where you know everything is grabbing, wanting to grab our attention. And so to be able to bring it back to a place of centeredness and listen with more than our ears, see with more than our eyes, perceive with our heart, and use more of our senses to really tune into what's going on, we can start to feel the future emerge and start um, bringing it towards us and ourselves towards it in a way that becomes this gentle dance with the future. So what I mean by that is that I don't dispute that there's a lot of pain and suffering going on in the world and that a lot of repair work is needed. One of the ways in which nature communication and eco-fluency helps is by enacting the kind of eco-socio-cultural repair that is needed in these times, meaning we're learning how to be better relatives. We can't move into um, birthing this new earth, so to say, if we don't know how to be good relatives. Otherwise, it's like, you know, moving into a different family and you still bring all your own nonsense that you don't know how to you can't see your own blind spots and then you bring the same kind of toxic behavioral patterns with you so it requires each one of us to have self-responsibility for our own healing in order for us to start dreaming the new future and in a way it's already been created but it also requires us still to create it and it's a little bit like i've found that truth can be paradoxical the closer you move towards it the further you realize you're away from it <laughs> and so it's a bit like the future you feel like it's just just on the other side you know we, we're told like oh maybe lockdown's going to happen this winter or um suddenly the housing markets will suddenly crash because the bubble will burst and um there'll be suddenly massive inflation like sure we could live with the fear of those things happening and maybe by lending our attention we're creating that equally if we believe that a more, be more beautiful future is the one that is possible, like Charles Eisenstein says, then you can create that. And then when you believe that with your heart, that's what you create. So it may resonate for some people to know that the energetic attacks on humanity and on this earth have been going on for a very long time. The war so far seems to be won but the battle's not over. Yeah. And so that could be very encouraging for some people to realize, okay, the war is won. It, it still means that we have to bring our warrior energy and to make sure that we're doing it from a place of heart-centeredness, not you know, um, doing it from a place of rage or despair, because I don't think that's really going to help. That's going to feed the wrong kind of energy and bring illness in ourselves. If we can say, Yes, there's righteous anger. And also I can hold the fact that certain things are being done in this world that just are not okay with the idea, the, the equal duality of being able to go beyond the, the duality and touch the neutral, touch the void, hold that polarity within yourself and play with, play with how that feels in your body. Can you, can you hold both of those in a way that is of service to birthing the new earth? So that you know what you would like to leave behind and equally you would like to fall in. 
and I'm, I know I'm speaking a little bit vaguely and, and no not at all it's it's crystal clear it's lovely to hear you say these things Saskia I mean because what you're what I'm hearing is that it's about more about conscious creation and you know where we where we learn okay that's this is I, I'm you know I'm creating from a destructive energy which is creating more destruction or I can create from more of a creative impulse which um has a more harmonious tone to it and I do think we're, we're at that stage in humanity um, my personal feeling is that we have more light here on earth than we have ever had and that's why we were seeing more shadows we're seeing it all coming out like you know so then we can work work with it more tangibly you know if we can identify it in front of us having the experience of it it's much easier to work with it than if it's you know stuck down deep in our subconscious or buried in our cellular memory at the kind of bone matrix sort of level so it's I think we're, we're seeing that it's kind of very energetic it's it's very volatile even um but at least then we can work with it you know kind of more consciously than we have done in the past or been able to in the past um the, the new aspect of human evolution it has to be spiritual that's our next step yeah and without that without that um understanding that the human as another teacher of mine dr daniel first sometimes says the human the psyche has never been only human and recognizing that and starting to practice communicating with the rest of nature in a way that is safe yeah um, and is coming from a place of heart-centeredness and holding your own center, directing almost with a laser focus, your attention means that you can do that, like you're saying, conscious creation in a way that is harmonious, brings in abundance and thriving of all of life, brings in that joy, brings in all the things that we would like for ourselves and for others, ideally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I don't know if I actually have to ask this question because when you're speaking, I can really feel it from you, but I like to ask it because my personal interest is around soul purpose and people living in alignment with their soul purpose so do you feel Saskia that you are kind of living in alignment with your soul purpose and your work is is part of that it depends on how you define soul but but if I would say I mean if I understand what you're trying to say is like am I following my destiny then yeah maybe maybe I am I'd like to think I am um, I think it's a work in progress I think that it's, there's a dance between fate and destiny that I don't fully understand, but um, a teacher of mine, Emma Farrell, has explained to me, which I can't remember off the top of my head very well, but she she was saying that the, the more you allow yourself to surrender and listen carefully to the ones, the forces that back your life, really, the closer you move towards being on that path of your destiny. And it's when you resist it because sometimes what we fear the most is to actually fulfill our destiny. It can yeah. be super frightening because Absolutely. it means having to leave behind the, the comfort zone. Yeah. And I'm having to do that. Like, you know, moving house. I, I wouldn't choose to move to Southern Wales for winter as a South African who really likes sun. I'm going to like this even wetter, colder place than East Sussex. Um, but that was guidance that I got from those beings that back my life. And so I'm following that guidance and I can only imagine that this great adventure awaits with a lot of magic and that's what I'm following yeah beautiful and um, so Saskia where can people find you how can they get in contact with you and do some of these wonderful courses and just learn more about what you have to offer um good point so I have a website called ecofluency.org 
So that's very easy and simple to remember and type in. And I do run regular in-person workshops. I think I might only have one more in-person workshop happening um, Sunday, the 21st of November. It's not yet been announced. I send out my newsletter today. So um, it, the information will be in there and it will be listed on the website. I do have an online course that I'm starting in two weeks time. And so that will be limited to a small number of people um, so that I can really give proper attention to each person. And it will be seven weeks long. If there's a lot of interest, I might have two cohorts where I have one group let's on a Tuesday and one on a Wednesday. Um, and that will run for, yeah, that'll be a seven week course. Um, I do anyway do bespoke consultations and workshops for people. Um, I have currently have a few people that are asking me to help with their company to be more aligned with nature. And so I do consultations and then eventually follow up workshops so that the people in their company can learn how to communicate with the spirit of the organization, for example. And, um, and also I'm available on email at saskia.ecofluency.org if people want to ask me more details. But generally everything you, you need to know is on the website. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm open to exploring any kind of ways that help to bring us in closer harmony to the well-being of all of life on this earth, the highest and deepest good of all of life on this earth throughout all time and all dimensions. But I'm gonna try and focus it as much as possible in a way that I can track organically in this life. <laughs> in and amongst and around the human activity that goes on with being human. <laughs> oh, thank you. And I'm so appreciative that you've come on today and had a chat with me. Um, so I just want to ask, because your, your voice is so wonderful and it's really beautiful to hear, like, do you have any words of wisdom that we could sort of leave our listeners with today? That's a good question. I did a TV interview in April for a South African TV series called Dira Prater, which means animal communicators. And in between one of the sort of while it while it stopped filming and the interviewer was just asking me some questions, she said, what do you believe our purpose is as humans on this earth? And I was listening to the trees around me because I couldn't come up with a good enough answer for that. And so I think this is probably appropriate to share it now again, which is that I believe our purpose here on earth as humans is to love and to be loved. And that means being able to love unconditionally and to feel that unconditional love and to work on dissolving the barriers to experiencing that more fully, to stay in our hearts as much as possible. And this is not new. This is something that people have been speaking about for millennia. But the real, real challenge is doing that in this time and to stay focused on love rather than fear. No matter what happens, that is going to be our saving grace. That is how we stay graceful and gracious throughout the journey that we're going to be, that we are experiencing, that we will experience in the coming years, is to, to stay in grace. And the best way I know how to do that is through gratitude and to hold on to love. And if there's one way in which you can hold on to gratitude and not hold it as in grasp it, but like, allow it to be held lightly in yourself is to is to hold something in your mind that you are truly grateful for not something you feel obliged to be grateful for like oh i'm grateful for my family maybe you feel annoyed with your family and you're not really deeply grateful <laughs> um but if you feel 
deeply, truly grateful. Like for me, it's the sun that will always put me in a state of, ah, you know, like the heart expansive. That's what I'm looking for. That is a good state to be in. And to try to practice that as much as possible. I think that's the way that we can navigate through this time and then call in, dream in, dance with the future as it emerges. Yeah. Choose love. <laughs>